grew up a band geek. And I just love watching how they just all, they just move together. And I know they've put hours and hours and hours and days into work. And early mornings and late nights. And I'm watching them and thinking, wow, the preparation that it took to get there. And they're all working together as a group and they're just working in harmony. The flags are going, the band is going, and the people are going, and it's, it's amazing. And then my kids' band got on the field. And the whole time I'd been watching all of these other bands and watching them work together in a group and watching just the whole production. And then when my kid got on the field, I watched her the whole time. And there was a couple places where she might have tripped up just a little bit, but the only person that noticed was me because she was in the group of people. She was just doing her thing. And I got to thinking, I'm like, God, What else is going on on the field? It didn't matter if they hit their notes or didn't hit the notes. It didn't, it didn't matter. I watched for my little trombone player. I found her right away because I was way up in the bleachers this time. And I watched her go through, and I cared about every single step. And I had been teasing her all week. I'm like, this is the week you're going to fall. It's the last week. You're going to fall, blah, blah, blah. She didn't. She rocked it out. And I got to think that's how God looks at every one of us. He may see the little trip-ups that nobody else sees. He may see when you're insecure and nobody else sees it. But it doesn't matter what's going on here. He's got his eyes on you. Each and every one of you. Yes, we're here corporately worshiping. Yes, and that's super important. But his eyes are on you. And his name is all we need. If we keep our eyes on him, They're worshiping. And he meets us there. He meets us in our time of worship and in our time of need. And we all we need to do is just stand. Stand and worship.
God, we praise you and we thank you for what you have for us. And I just ask that you continue to move in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise this morning. announcements for you that I didn't want to get in the way of the video that I'm excited about you getting to watch. The video you'll watch in a minute is about from a film that's a probably 50 years old Christian film, one of my all-time favorites. But I do want to say if you're in a Connect Group, thank you for being in Connect Groups. And let's give a round of applause to everybody in the Connect Group. Thanks for joining with us. I think we're about 180 or so. I don't know what our final number is. Pastor Kevin, if you know about 180. He said 162. <laughs> so glad for that. Thanks for being part of that. And coming up at the end of this month, we've done a bunch of different things for Beggar's Night. And there are two things that we're going to do. Number one, rather than doing things for the city, we want to do things with the city. And during Beggar's Night week, there's an event, Trunk or Treat event, that's happening here in town. We're going to participate in that, have part of the train over there and give candy out of that. And so if you are not doing glow in the dark, they will talk about it in a minute, you could help us by bringing candy. We're going to ask you to help us by bringing candy and fill the barrel so we have plenty to give to the kids and uh, bring the good stuff. If you're not sure, just come by. I can tell you what the good stuff is and isn't, and I'd be glad to sample for you. But on beggar's night this year, hello, on uh, beggar's night, I don't know what that was, Hope that wasn't me. On Beggar's Night this year, um, we did um, outreach last year because of COVID, and this year we're going back to Glow in the Dark. What is Glow in the Dark? It's more than giving out candy on Beggar's Night. It's basically a yard party where you can communicate to those by the way you're responding and with information that, that this night is a night we can redeem. It's not a night for deviltry, it's a night to bless one another and have a yard party. Now we have a template for you that talks all about that and we'll provide that for you. We'd like as many uh, glow-in-the-dark homes as we can during beggar's night. And often families will go together. I know some of our connect groups are using that as their missions project. But because we're not um, providing candy for you this year or a giveaway this year, we still want to team with you. So for the first 20 homes that sign up, we're going to give $100 to each of those homes to help cover the expense because more than candy, it's candy and popcorn or candy and hot dogs or cotton candy or something to give away to make it more of a yard party kind of feel. How do you sign up? You go to brianhub.com and go to brianhub.com slash 411. Go to our 411 page and you can sign up there and we'll give you the template and you'll be given $100 to help you with the expenses because we want beggar's night to be a night that glows in the dark. Amen. Amen? And so if you'll help us with that, that'll be wonderful. We want a team with you in that. Hope you enjoy this video. Are you standing at the crossroad of
and it shall be given. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Give it up for the angels. <laughs> that has to make you smile a little bit. I'm sure that's not how I pictured angels, but that's a whole other discussion. It's an allegory about the dreariness of life and the joy the gospel brings. So how many of you have ever had a meaningless job? Hold your hands up meaningless jobs. I read an article <laughs> that asked this question, do you hate your job? Five questions to ask. And I thought, are you kidding me? If you have to ask five questions, you don't hate your job. Hello? I didn't have to ask any questions. I knew the answer to that right away. I have heard that a good supervisor is someone that can step on your toe without messing up the shine on your shoes. I've had supervisors that could mess up the shine on your shoes without stepping on your toes. Anybody with me this morning know what I'm talking about? I have a list here of some meaningless jobs I'd like for you to kind of consider to think about. Um, how would you like to be a lifeguard at the swimming pool at the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, that's probably... You say, well, something could go bad. Yeah, there are plenty of people to take care of that. Do you know there's actually people that get paid to watch paint dry? Professional paint drying watcher. How would you like to be a self-storage manager? <laughs> or a mall Santa in Jerusalem? How about being a CD rack manufacturer? Those still exist. And this one I just loved. How would you like to be a, this is true, a pet food taster? Or a weatherman in San Diego. San Diego has the most consistent weather anywhere on the planet. It's between 57 and 72 degrees every day. And the weatherman says, it's going to be sunny. <laughs> I read about someone whose job, they're telling their stories, whose job at a museum was to guard an empty room. Think about this. 
I worked at a museum for a global security company where one exhibition room was left unused. My job was to guard that empty room, ensuring that no one touched anything in the room. There wasn't anything in the room and that nobody set any fires. I was forbidden to have books, phones, anything that would distract me. Nobody was ever there. I twiddled my thumbs for seven and a half hours. How about copying and pasting? This one company where the person's job was simply to watch an inbox, receive emails, and copy the email from one form into another and send it on to the supervisor. It was a job that previously had been automated, but there was a disagreement between managers that led to hiring someone to paste from one form to another. This person, next person, said I was hired as a temp, but not assigned any duties. I was told it was very important that I stay busy, but I wasn't to play games or surf the web. My primary function seemed to be occupying a chair and contributing to the decorum of the office. Had no job assignment. Now, I don't know how... how meaningless your jobs have been or how much you've hated your job, but I think we've all had those times. I remember when I was in high school that I did not want to be my dad and follow his occupation. My dad worked at a place called Pennock and Ford. I always thought that was one word, Pennock and Ford. Pennock and Ford, a corn processing plant. I grew up in Cedar Rapids, the city of five seasons, but inside Cedar Rapids, we called it the city of five smells. You had several places that really reeked the place, and where my dad worked at this corn processing plant smelled horrific, and he went to work every day and came home at night and went to work and came home at night, and I looked at that and thought, I don't want to work that kind of a meaningless job. I want my job to have some kind of value beyond that. I went to Bible college, and while I worked the summers at Bible college, when I'd come home for the summers, I worked at a golf course, mowing fairways. That's exciting for about two days. And what's really exciting is when it's seniors day and the men are out there and they're giving each other a stroke off their card if they can hit my mower and two strokes off if they hit me. After a while, all you're thinking about is how can I stay awake and how can I run over a senior citizen? (laughs) So then I came to um, the church and I wanted to, I'm a Bible college student, right? I am a Bible college student. I know things now. I know things and I could bless this church. Do you know what they asked me to do on Saturdays? Mow grass. And I was on the mower one day and I said, God, this isn't fair. I didn't go to Bible college to mow grass. And the only job the church will give me is mowing grass. All of us have had those kind of jobs where you just look at them and say, why? This doesn't matter. This isn't helping. I don't know why I have this silly, silly job. Well, we're talking about God working in mysterious ways. 
We talked about how God works through unreasonable delay with the death of Lazarus. He works in unexpected closed doors with Paul's missionary journey. He works with um, unanticipated destructive storms in Paul's shipwreck. And last today with Saul, he works through unappreciated job assignments. The thing we have to understand is that God is speaking to us and working in ways that we might not be aware. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible or your digital device to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. And we're going to look at Saul who had become king and look at how he started in a meaningless job. 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 3, Saul is given a job to go look for donkeys. Now I don't know how you would evaluate job assignments. But going to look for donkeys wouldn't be the highest on my list. I heard this subject kind of touched on at general counsel, and it was referred to as the donkey assignment. I'm not asking if you ever worked for a donkey. I'm wondering if you ever had a donkey assignment, had one of those jobs where, like, what in the world? Now, you have to understand it this way. His father was Kish. The Bible tells us that Kish was a man of valor and wealth. Another way describes it as a mighty man of power and influence. So Saul grows up, his dad is a big shot. His dad has a lot of money, a lot of influence, and some accounts suggest he may even have had his own army to defend all that he owned. And then it describes Saul as an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites. That's the kind of man that he was. So you have Kish, his dad, who's a big shot. You would almost think of him as a, as a local kind of king. And Saul, who is also an impressive young man. Now, you could grow up in that environment with a sense of entitlement. That I am an important person, my dad is an important person, and in that, I shouldn't have to do some of these menial tasks. And for whatever reason, when the donkeys went missing, Kish said to Saul, take a servant and go find the donkeys. Now, I would have looked at that a little bit differently. I would have thought, Dad, you can buy a hundred more donkeys. Dad, you got plenty of servants. Why are you sending me, the impressive young man that I am? Come on, how many are with me this morning? To go look for donkeys. What kind of job is this? Isn't that a servant's job? Who's going to miss the donkeys? Hey, Saul, what's your job? I'm a donkey finder. That's my job. Is your, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you know the answer to this. Are you currently working in a place that you see as meaningless? Do you know that you can work in a meaningful ob, uh, uh, occupation and still have a meaningless assignment? You can work in a hospital, you can work at a bank, you can work for a lawyer's office, you can work for a tech firm, and that doesn't guarantee that you'll have any sense of significance. There are all kinds of people that are given meaningless kinds of assignments. 
And I could give you all kinds of reasons for you to change your mindset. I could say to you, listen, go to your job and whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's what scripture tells us. I could say to you, there are no little jobs. There are only little people and give you a plaque to put on the wall. I could say anything worth doing is worth doing well. And that only lasts from your morning coffee till you walk in the door at your job. Is there anybody in the house? Maybe all of you just find significance all the time. But some of us have experienced those donkey assignments, those donkey jobs. After a while, it just seems meaningless. And yes, you do have to look for meaning. So I referred to two of the meaningless jobs. And to finish that story, I was uh, mowing grass all day long, eight hours a day, Monday to Friday. I would go to the church on Saturday I'd get on a Ford 8N tractor with a 7-foot flail mower and mow the several acres the church had and do trim mowing. That's what I did every day. And I was really complaining to God. And I said, I don't understand why I'm on a mower. You called me to ministry. I didn't need to go to Bible college to mow grass. I didn't even need to go to tech school, hello, to mow grass. Don't ask God a question if you don't want the answer. And I heard him say, you say, well, how do you know it was his voice? Because it wasn't what I wanted to hear, and it didn't come from my thought patterns at the moment. He interrupted my thought patterns and said, son, until you can learn to mow grass at at my house with joy, you'll have no other assignment. And then I thought about my dad. Going every day to that place. I didn't even want to go see him on the job. That place smelled so bad. And then I realized that stinky place in Cedar Rapids put food on our table. Come on. It paid rent where we lived. It provided heat for us, gas for the car, provided things for school. And then one day I discovered what Pennican Ford did. It wasn't a factory dedicated to stink. It was a factory dedicated to processing corn, producing starch and other products that literally fed the world. My dad wasn't just filling a spot every day. He was part of a bigger picture that was feeding the world. And that opened my eyes to understand there's something more than just what's in my hand at the moment. You see, you and I have got to understand that God is bigger than the moment I'm in. God is bigger than the assignment that I see from my own perspective that there is something that God is doing and I should be thankful that he allowed me to fill a small part of that. First church um, that we pastored, there were, I think the first Sunday we were there, there was 35 people and there was... um, couldn't owe to everybody in town, couldn't pay the bills. And I'm driving around. Now, I'm going to give you context for this. I was driving one day thinking, God, why did you call me to such a small place? Now, that's all a matter of perspective. At Little League, as a coach, I was talking to one of the parents who asked me, did you go to a large high school? And I said, yes, I went to Cedar Rapids Kennedy. 
There were 500 in my graduating class. Did you go to a large school? He said, yeah, I went to high school in Chicago. There was 5,000 in my graduating class. You see, it's a matter of perspective. And I'm driving along thinking, God, why did you call me to such a small place to a small assignment? Now, the sidebar to that is, Carol was thankful that anyone would have us. Because she didn't think I'd get a job pastoring or a, a, an opportunity till I was 30. You might find this hard to believe, but when I was younger, I had a baby face. I almost got pounded during senior week when I was a senior because they thought I was a sophomore. Someone thankfully recognized me. And she didn't tell me this, which I appreciated, but she's thinking I married a guy that looks like he's 16 on a good day. And so she's glad for the opportunity, and I'm thinking, why this small place? All I can tell you is as I was driving, God let me see the wall around Jerusalem. And he said, it's not your job to determine your assignment at the wall. If everyone fulfills their assignment at the wall, the entire wall will be built and the city will be saved. Come on, help me now. I'm telling you that you have to get a bigger picture of what's going on, what's happening in your life in those moments when, yes, your dad is somebody, and yes, you're somebody, but if they tell you to go look for donkeys, go look for donkeys. God is at work. Now, to make matters worse, <laughs> he failed at it. They couldn't find the donkeys. They looked and they looked and they looked. So what Saul does is he does apply himself to the task. And this is the part that really encourages me. He applies himself to the task. He doesn't, he doesn't look for an hour and then build a campfire and they have s'mores. He is looking, he is trying, he's applying himself to the task. The Bible tells us that they went through the hill country of Ephraim around the area called Shalisha, the district of Shalim, and the district of Zuf. And they looked and they looked and they looked and they looked and couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. It does matter. I know the platitudes and the plaques won't carry you through the day, but a vision from God will carry you through the day. And it does matter how you do what you do with what's in your hand. That if you don't handle today with dedication and commitment and honor to God, there'll be no higher calling tomorrow. It's not like the Peter principle in the kingdom where you get advanced to your highest level of incompetence. God's advancements are based on you being faithful and successful in the call and then he'll move you forward and Saul doesn't complain though I think he'd have every reason to he simply goes after the job and they come to a place where they don't know what to do Saul says we're out of options Verse 5, come, let us go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and will start worrying about us. And that's really true. Saul says, my dad is going to wonder. We've been out here a long time. We need to go back and find out what's happening. They're in a place of indecision. 
We've worked, we've tried, we're at a dead end, don't know which way to go, we can't find the donkeys, let's go back. And it's in those moments, in the donkey assignments, that you've got to decide what you're going to do. And the servant says this, look, in this town, there is a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he comes, he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. When you are fulfilling the donkey assignment, when you're looking for donkeys, there will always come a place that you have to ask, what way should we take? What direction should we go? We don't know what we should do. We don't know which way we should go. What is next on the agenda? What direction should we take? And at that moment, your destiny may be determined. Where do you go for answers? Where do you go to find a solution? I've done my best at the job I'm doing. I'm at the end of the road. I don't know what I should do next. And the servant says, let's talk to the man of God. And in our context today, I would simply say to you, at that juncture, you need to seek the face of God. In that economy, God spoke through the prophets. There wasn't a personal relationship with God that we have today. So to make that application, what is he really saying? Let's ask God. Let's go to somebody that knows God. Let's seek godly counsel. Let's get someone to pour into us because we are out of options and this isn't working. What should we do next? Let's ask the man of God. Do you know what the servant knew that Saul didn't? There is a man of God in the neighborhood. There is a man of God in the neighborhood. By the way, this is just a sidebar. But as they're talking, Saul says to the servant in verse 7, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him, look, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God so he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if anyone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer because the prophet of today used to be called the seer. Good, let's take it. Now, does that mean you had to pay the man of God? No, they understood something that the contemporary church has forgotten. And that is when you go to God and you're sincere, you ought to bring an offering to lay at his feet. Shout now, somebody. Wow. <laughs> Chat time, okay? Church isn't doing anything for me. I'm not getting anything out of this. Well, I read about a man that took his son to church. This was a few years ago. And they were still, it was pre-COVID. How do you know it was pre-COVID? Because they were still passing the offering plates. And the offering plate went by and dad put in a buck. The boy watched that. They left, went home. They're in the car. 
and the dad starts to complain about the music was too loud, the room was too warm, nobody was friendly, I didn't enjoy the message, wish that pastor could preach. And the little boy listened to all that and he said, Dad, I thought it was pretty good for a buck. (laughs) Your value of God will be directly seen in the offering you bring to him. You're not buying him. All of the responses of the Old Testament were bringing offerings to God. And Saul understood and the servant understood that if we're going to ask the seer to seek God on our behalf, then we need to bring an offering. And I'm not saying to you, keep those cards and letters coming. That's not what I'm saying. To give to the Gary Pilcher Retirement Fund, I'm saying that every time we come in the doors, we ought to show our love for Jesus by what we bring. Is there anyone in the house right now? You say, well, I, I bring my heart. Oh, thank you for saying that. Because where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. <laughs> well, I can see this is a home run. They brought an offering with joy to the house of God. And what's really, really exciting to me is to understand that this assignment, watch how God works, this assignment wasn't about finding donkeys. This assignment was ordained by God to get Saul to the man of God. A moment of destiny, an opportunity to see what God wanted to do in his future. And what you may see today is simply a donkey assignment, a moment that you're doing a meaningless job. God is at work. He's doing something. And in that, there'll be a moment, a time, and a place where if you're honoring God with all that you have, loving him with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and doing what you do for the building of the kingdom, there'll be a moment that you'll understand this wasn't about the job, this was about a moment of destiny. This is a moment where God will show himself in powerful ways. Now, what's really interesting is to see that God is already at work. Isn't God big? Come on, help me this morning. Isn't God big? Isn't he great? So, God's watching. Good. I'm not telling you that an angel opened the gate to the donkey pen, but it might have. Saul is going, and who put it on Kish's heart to send Saul? There are times that you just respond to what seems to be right in the moment when it really was. You'll see in hindsight that really was the voice of God. God was doing something there. And out of that comes Saul headed toward the man of God. And how do I know that God had planned that? Because the Bible says in verse 15, when they got to the man of God... The day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed it to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, 
I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Are you hearing this? This ought to make some doodads go up and down your back. Tomorrow, I'm going to send a man from Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. You've got to see this incredibly powerful moment. Saul, in his desperation, is hoping the man of God will tell him where to find donkeys. And God had already spoken to the man of God. I'm going to anoint you king. Can you imagine that moment? If Saul hadn't done the job, if he'd complained if he had just gone home but Saul submitted to his father Saul respected the wisdom of the servant and they go to the man of God who is waiting for him to come to do what not to tell him where the donkeys are but to anoint him as king over the nation God has plans for you if you'll walk with him in the meaningless of the moment He has a tremendous plan. God is always previous. I had someone ask me recently, I don't remember who it was, but someone said, can God answer your prayers before you pray them? Well, he has to most of the time. He he knows tomorrow what you'll need. And for you to have the answer that you need tomorrow, something needed to start happening yesterday. Are you walking with me? So God put a plan in place yesterday so that your answer will be ready tomorrow. You won't know it till tomorrow morning and you'll pray and God will supply and you'll say, how did he do that? Because he's always previous, because he's ahead of the game, because he sees everything in one eternal now and he has a grand and glorious plan for your life. Follow the mundaneness and you'll see the supernatural revealed somewhere along the journey. What a moment. What a moment. God was already at work. So they asked the question in verse 6, what way should we go? And in verse 26, they find the way that they'll be sent. Look at verse 26 in chapter 9. They rose about daybreak, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us, but you stay here a while, that I may give you a message from God. Somebody needs that today. You need that in your moment. And if you'll wait in the presence of Jesus, that answer will be provided. So how does that transition happen? And right now, all of that was introduction. Everybody say introduction. Introduction. Now say, I hope the message is shorter. No, don't, don't say that. I want to give you four components of this new call. All right, that are essential to know when that transition is going to come. All right, are you ready? 
want to give you four components of that that will help you. Number one, you need a word of release. Verse chapter nine, let's go back to verse 20. Samuel said to Saul, let's go up to verse 19. I'm the seer, Samuel replied. Go ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. What is Samuel telling Saul? Your assignment has been completed. You don't have to continue in this place any longer. God has something else for you to do. Now you'll never come to the place of release from the menial until you've done it with faithfulness, until you learn to do it with joy, until you learn the lesson you need to learn, until you see the higher call. But there'll be a moment of release when God says, you've done well, you've served well in this capacity, and the donkeys have been found. Your assignment's over. You have to be able to hear that. You have to be able to know that, that there are moments when that burden lifts. There are moments when things happen. I can't, I can't go into this story, but there's a situation that Carol and I have prayed about for years, literally for years. And she said yesterday, after we saw the answer unfold in front of our eyes, she said, there's a lot I'll be giving thanks to God for in this moment. God has those moments for you, those moments where you'll see the miracle happen. But hear me clearly, you can't stop looking for donkeys until you get a word from God that the donkeys have been found and the job is finished. It's been completed to his glory. Don't quit until God releases you from your task. Is anyone hearing me this morning? You might quit the day before your miracle. You might quit the day before someone needs to hear about Jesus. You might quit the day before God's going to unleash a supernatural moment. I can't tell you how many times I've simply done the mundane and God showed up on the other side. You can't stop until you get a word of release, until you hear from God that the job is over. You don't have to continue this any longer. God is looking for faithful people who will not quit until the job is done. It's an old story that's been told for years of a man that came to God and prayed. He wanted to do great things. God took him to a large boulder and gave him a sledgehammer and said, I want you to pound on this sledgehammer like, or on this boulder like you're trying to break it. Day after day, he hit it, and he hit it, and he hit it, and he hit it. There were no cracks. There was nothing that seemed to be happening. The sledgehammer just bounced off. And after days of doing that and having absolutely no success, he went back to God, and God said, I didn't tell you to stop. Keep pounding on the boulder. And he did it again and again and again, and repeatedly came back and, and and said to God, nothing's happening. And he said, but I told you to keep pounding on the boulder. And finally one day he came into the presence of God. And God said, you can put the sledgehammer down. Why? It didn't break. And he said, I didn't ever tell you to break it. I told you to pound on it. 
I want you to look at the strength of your hands. I want you to look at your arms and your back and your legs. You are not the man that started out pounding on that boulder. I needed to strengthen you and equip you and empower you for your next assignment and now you're ready. Sometimes it's in the ordinariness. Do you hear him right now talking to you? Sometimes it's just in swinging the sledgehammer. That's not about the boulder. It's about you. It's about the assignment. It's about getting strong. It's about having some endurance, some stick-to-itiveness, so God can trust you with the next assignment. But a moment will come where he'll say, put the sledgehammer down. The donkeys have been found. You're now ready for the next assignment that I have for your life. He will release you from that moment. Second, you will need a time of refreshing. Look at verse 24 in chapter 9. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you. Eat, because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said, I've invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. Do you see what God did? When he lifted the assignment, he had already established in the heart of Samuel that a young man would come and you need to feed him. Don't ever forget that it's okay to get tired. It's okay to wear out. It's okay to be burdened down. But there are times when the burden lifts and what do you do now refresh yourself read the word of God spend time with God soak up his presence that you need to be refreshed in the presence of God it won't happen by any other thing by any other way I do believe that vacations are valuable how many believe that vacations are valuable How many have seen that meme on Facebook that says, I believe in mandatory vacations? And you read something else. But here's what I've discovered. Now, don't call me a Scrooge. But I've discovered that vacations are more work than staying at home. It's not relaxing for me. It's a different kind of work and more of it. Now, I enjoy it, and it's worth it, and it's worth making memories and doing those things. I'm for that all. But where do I find refreshing? The place you will find refreshing is in the presence of God himself. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint don't miss the times of refreshing that come from the presence of God don't just look for the next assignment thank God for the release and take time to enjoy the refreshing that he brings he will prepare to feed you he will feed you now chapter 10 verse 2 there's a releasing There's a refreshing. And then verse 2 of chapter 10, there's a redirecting. Samuel took a flask, chapter 10, verse 1, of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, watch this, 
When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelza on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you sent out uh, you set, set out to look for have been found and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do? Now this gets even crazier. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. That sounds like country directions. Go to the tree and turn right. These men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, another a skin of wine. They will greet you, offer you two loaves of bread, and you will accept from them. And then you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and timbrels and pipes and harps being played before them and they will be prophesying the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you'll be changed into a different person once these things are fulfilled do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you now just think about that if I'd heard those instructions I'd have thought I think I'd rather look for donkeys I and mean, that's really complicated. You go here, you turn here, watch for them. Take the, what? Or are you taking notes? Have you put that down on your, uh, on your iPad or your, your phone somewhere, wrote all that down? Because, listen, the next level of responsibility will be more complicated than the previous level. It won't be less. It will require more of you. It will require more investment of you and more obedience to what God has said. But why could it be trusted? Because if you're trusted with the donkeys, you can be trusted with the anointing. He's redirected. He continues walking in faithful obedience. So there's a release. There's a refreshing that's followed by a redirection that follows with being recommissioned. The spirit of God will come on you. You'll receive a new anointing. There's going to be a moment, Saul, when the presence of God is going to be real around you. Don't miss the day of divine visitation. While I was at this past week at Trinity Bible College and graduate school, some great things happened, but one of the things that was most encouraging to me is we had time on Wednesday morning and the president of the school, Dr. Alexander said, I believe that Bible colleges should be a prophetic institution and we should be a prophetic people. And I want us to take some time to just wait before God and prophesy. And uh, Leanne, I don't know if you're here, you were in that morning session and what happened next? So I have to tell you, I'm an old time Pentecostal. So when he said, we're gonna prophesy, I thought, oh Lord, help me out of this mess. Because what that would have meant old school was we're going to raise our hands, we're going to shout, we're going to run around the room, have a Jericho march, jump out the window, run in the front door. And then ecstatically, oh, this is what, the, this is what God, you know, I'm just thinking, I don't want to do this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Remember some of the old days, you know, you stand up, sit down, let go, hold on. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. But it was, he simply said, after he opened in prayer, now I just want you to share what God has been speaking to you while you've been here. 
It was calm and intellectual and beautiful as people began to share what God was speaking. And God burned something heavy on my heart in that moment that will apply to this message. Trinity Bible College is in a new era of God's blessing. They have liquidated $7 million of debt 11 years ago is zero today. Seven million is zero. That would have been a great time to clap. <laughs> That's $60,000 of interest payment monthly that is no longer required. For the first time in their history, or 25 years probably, that a line of credit with a Bible college is simply this. You get a line of credit because when classes end in May, you've got to go through the summer without much income and you have a line of credit. And typically they'd run up about $400,000 during the summer that then you start in a hole in September or August and you have to repay that and go again. And this year, they had no need for that line of credit. That's another clapping opportunity. God is clearly at work on the campus. When you look at buildings that have been renovated, that have been redeemed, that have been called back, it's a miracle of God when someone walks in and pays $2 million to build a prayer chapel. Come on, I'm just telling you, God's at work at that place. And I felt like God just spoke to me a word that will speak to you in the moments of divine blessing that there is a day of divine visitation. There is a day when the blessing of God is real. There is a day that you need to not ignore. And the danger is when God is changing your assignment to back up and relax and just try to coast and there's nowhere to coast in the kingdom of God. Don't miss the day of divine visitation. He's going to come by Saul and he's going to bless you and when he does he will change you into another man don't miss the day of divine visitation Trinity Bible College needs to not miss that day and you need to not miss that day when God comes by that we not miss the day are you hearing me of divine visitation the spirit of God's going to come on you Saul and if Saul had said I can't remember all this my dad's got money I have all I need I don't need to put up with this I'm going back home but he followed explicitly the orders that came from God. <laughs> and what a moment. What a moment. The Spirit of God came on Saul. It became a marker in his life. People saw that. Is he among the prophets? They saw him as a different man. He was changed into a different purpose or person as he prophesied with them. He was recommissioned to a new level of sanctification. Now, when all of that happened, here is what he said to him. Are you ready? This is, I've been driving all morning to this verse. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now, story of Saul, he doesn't end up there. But in this moment, when you've been, listen to me, when you've been faithful to the donkey assignment 
and you find a place that you're released from that. You've been refreshed by the presence of God. You've been redirected to a new course and recommissioned by the Spirit of God and you respond and the Spirit of God comes on you. At that point, you don't need further instruction because you've learned to walk in the Spirit. You've learned to walk in obedience. Your desires are His. Your way is His. And at that moment, God says, do whatever you want to do and it will prosper because you're walking with the Spirit of God. Don't miss the day of divine visitation. Don't miss the day of a new anointing. Do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. There's no meeting with Samuel if Saul bails on the donkey assignment. There is no meeting with Samuel if he bails on the donkey assignment. And there is no anointing to be king if he doesn't meet with Samuel. God is working meaningfully in your meaningless job assignment. Stacy, if you'd come or whoever's coming with you. I want to say that again. God, listen, hear this. If you don't hear anything I've said all morning, hear this. God is working meaningfully in your meaningless assignment. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God is working meaningfully in your meaningless assignment. Don't lose sight of that because a fresh anointing is coming, a new ministry opportunity is coming, and he is shaping us today into what? Kings and priests. He's shaping us into that. And I don't know, I just know as I was praying over this, I just want to encourage you. <laughs> well, I've been in those meaningless assignments. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wonder who's at that place of being ready to quit, ready to give up on the donkeys, you're ready to just be done. And God is calling you to stay to the task until a new day of anointing comes. Would you just slip up your hand if that's you and he's talking to you? Thank you, thank you, thank you, yes, 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 thank you. Up in the balcony, thank you. Anyone else? There's a new day coming and he's talking to you this morning. He's talking to you this morning. And maybe for you, he's given fresh vision for the moment, fresh vision for today. Could we stand together and let's just take a moment to thank God who puts meaningless meaning into the mundane. Would you just lift your hands right now? Come on, lift your hands and magnify him. Give him praise. Come on, magnify him. Give him praise. Three. 
not going to re-preach. I'm just going to give you what God just dropped into my heart. You will never find a place that's meaningful until you let him teach you to add meaning in the mundane. When you let him put meaning in the mundane, he will lead you to something more meaningful because then your heart won't be knit to the task. It'll be knit to the one who calls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.